You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. Well, good morning. It's good to see you guys here at Foothills Church. We're glad that you're here, and I'm excited about today's message and just gathering around 2 Samuel chapter 12. If you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and turn there. Uh, We are in a series uh, going through the life of David, and today is part five. And as you're kind of finding your place in in, in your Bible or on your app, I just want to remind you today at four o'clock, our student pastor, Landon Reynolds, uh, we're going to ordain him into the ministry. If you've never been a part of, of that kind of uh, service, uh, I encourage you to come, especially if your kids are in the student ministry. It's a great way to support he and his wife, Leanna. And, and then don't forget, at 6 o'clock this afternoon on uh, the property next door, we're actually going to have our groundbreaking ceremony. And so we've got a big bulldozer, tractor-type huge thing out there that's going to do some damage this afternoon. It's going to be a lot of fun. hope you guys will come, bring something to sit on, and uh, we're going to um, praise uh, the name of Jesus and, and uh, kick this thing off right. Uh, so as you guys are turning in your, your scriptures to uh, 2 Samuel 12, uh, I was eight, nine years old. And uh, it was after a Sunday morning service, typical uh, Sunday, uh, summer afternoon, my best friend came over to my house and we did what we always do. We go outside, we play uh, in the woods, play in the creek and shot some basketball and then we got bored. And um, I had some, my, my sisters were in high school at the time, and I always heard them talking about uh, throwing eggs at people's houses and how much fun that was. And so I thought, you know what, let's give it, a t- today's our day, let's give it a try. So we go inside and we get some eggs out of the fridge, and as we're walking out, my mom's like, Trent, what are you doing? And I'm, I, I kind of jerk and crush the eggs that were in my friend's pocket, you know, and nothing, mom, we're, we're right, you know, we kind of sneak out, you know, get away from her, and we go next door, and we go into their backyard, we egg the back of their house for whatever reasons, and, and we just kind of unleashed, you know, everything we had. We had so much fun, we went back inside, got more, went back over there, and, and threw more, and, and we thought we were having, the, you know, the time of our life, and so about that time, we had to get ready to go to church, <laughs> because that's what we did. We went to Sunday morning church, you know, Sunday evening church, then Tuesday night visitation, Wednesday night church. We were in church all the time. We didn't have time for our family or for lost people, but that's a different story. <laughs> I won't get into that. But anyway, um, <clears throat> so, so we go to church, and I swear my dad wrote that evening sermon just to convict me. Uh, he, he read from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, which is basically a long list of all the people who are not going to inherit eternal life. It actually starts off wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so there's this huge list of of immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, thieves, greedy people, drunkards, revilers, swindlers, and I swear he said eggers. Swear he said it. Because I'm sitting there sweating in my seat, you know, listening to all of this happening, and I knew that I had done something really, really bad, and, 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 and I was keeping it a secret. Well, we get home, and my neighbor calls and asks, you know, my dad picks up the phone and, and asks him if he saw anybody in the backyard throwing eggs. And dad's like, no, I didn't. Hey, Trent, did you uh, see anybody throwing eggs, you know, next door today? And I was like, I haven't seen him. I am, you know, kind of one of those deals. Like, I don't even know. So bold-faced lie right to him, you know, just kept on, you know, trucking. Well, he hangs up the phone, and it, it seemed like an eternity, but it was probably about 60 seconds before my little convicted heart could take it anymore. And it was like, it was me, Dad. It was me. I did it. I sold out my friend. I told him everything we did. I sung like a canary, you know, and I just, I just gave it all. And, and uh, you know, at that point, it was like the weight of 
that problem and the weight of that secret was released, you know? When you finally confess something that you've been lying about or hiding, there's just this physical even release, a spiritual yes, but, but even sometimes physical release of, oh, finally, I'm not the only one that knows I've confessed, I've owned up to it, and, and I wish that was the end of the story and everything went great, but I got grounded a whole long list of things that, that had to take place, but two that stand out to me. One, I was grounded from my Atari, so that was a big deal back then. No Pong for me anymore, kind of dating myself a little bit. I'm okay with that. And secondly, I had to go next door the next day and apologize face-to-face to my neighbors, which was humiliating, terrible. And then I had to actually clean up the mess. You know, that was just terrible. Like, have you ever seen what happens to an egg after it sits out all night? It's completely disgusting. And so, so that, the, the, those were just a couple of the consequences that I had to, you know, uh, take hold of and experience. And so I say all that, and I want to just kind of pause here and say that as a parent, it's very crucial that we teach our kids that there are consequences for our actions, right? And so uh, a parent that is consistent in discipline is really, really crucial. Because if you're not consistent with discipline, then it, it, it could lead to a child that feels entitled and a child that grows up thinking, well, I can do this or that, I can do whatever I want, and there aren't going to be any consequences. And so, so it's, it's huge for parents to grasp this. And so this is kind of what, you know, I'm thankful my parents began to, to set that in motion in my life. Because there is a spiritual reality to our decisions as well. As a grown adult now, when we make decisions, when we sin, when we make mistakes, there are serious, sometimes, consequences. And so in the life of David today, we see how uh, all of the things that we talked about last week, the, the murder, the lies, the adultery, all of these things are kind of culminating now with, with this confession. Yes, he confesses his sin, he seeks forgiveness, and yet he still has to learn how to walk and live life with those consequences. Now, you've most likely experienced this before. You've made a bad financial decision. And, um, you know, you made that mistake, and man, maybe you had to ask forgiveness from your wife, you asked forgiveness from God, but, but then it still took you a few months, maybe years, you know, to pay off that financial mistake. Maybe you committed a sin against your spouse, and so, you know, you hurt them in that way, and there were consequences that, that affected them. And so there's guilt that, man, I, I, I screwed up, and that affects my wife, and that, that shame and that guilt kind of you know, really begins to, to strangle your heart. And, you know, there are times when, you know, maybe you as a parent have messed up. And then you see that your kids are suffering from a mistake that you made. And, and that tension, those, those consequences can really cause a lot of guilt and shame in your life. But there are, 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 are a lot of great examples in the Bible that, that give us hope. And this story is one of them, as tragic as some of the things we're going to read today, there is hope. And so I want us to look and uh, kind of read a few verses that we read last week. But remember, Nathan comes to David, he shares a story with him, and the story is really a way for you know, Nathan to show David that, that he has sinned. And so in verse 7, Nathan says to David, you are the man, you're the guy that messed up, you're the guy in the story, you're the guy that has sinned. And, it's, and then he says, Thus says the Lord. This is verse 7 again. Now, little, little insert here. 
in the Old Testament, when a prophet speaks and says, thus saith the Lord, or, or a judge, God speaks through judges at times too. When, when they are saying, thus says the Lord, they are actually saying the words from God. So in the Old Testament, God spoke through an individual, like a prophet, a judge, his word. Now, he doesn't speak audibly through people in this sense any longer. We are in the New Testament post the cross. We have his written word. So this is how God speaks to us and has spoken to us on paper in the word. Now, the Spirit still speaks to us and in in, in, in definitely in that way. But at this time, this is important, as you'll see in just a little bit, that, that God is directly speaking to David. These are the consequences that he is going to experience. And so he says... I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. Verse 8, and I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. So Nathan is basically saying, this is what God is saying, David. I gave you the kingdom. I gave you you know, the, the, the throne, I've given you everything, and I was going to give you much, much more. And then he says, verse 9, Why have you despised the word of the Lord, to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword, and have taken his wife to be your wife, and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Verse 10, Now therefore, here are the consequences. The sword shall never depart from your house. Because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah, the Hittite, to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will, here's the second one, raise up evil against you. Where's that going to come from? Out of your own house. In other words, your own family. And I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor. And he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the son. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, by this deed, you have utterly scorned the Lord. And the child who is born to you shall die. These are the devastating effects of sin in our life. There are real consequences. Sin is devastating. Sin is real and David is experiencing this. He, he confesses to Nathan, and, 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 and he asks for forgiveness. He, he says that I have sinned, and, and Nathan says, the Lord put away your sin in verse 13. The Lord has put away his sin, and this is great news. God forgives him. He's not going to die. Now, you might be thinking, man, death penalty, that's pretty harsh, and yet that was what the law demanded at that time for murder, for adultery, Stoning was the sentence. And God says, I'm not going to allow that to happen to you. Remember Saul, when he sins, he loses his throne. So David, by God's grace, is forgiven. He's, he's able to remain the king. And yet there are other things that will happen as a result. It says here in verse 10 that the sword will never leave you. It says that evil will rise against you in your own home. And David sees this. In his family, continue to read the chapters that are ahead. And you'll see that there is, there is rebellion in his son Absalom that tries to steal his throne. Absalom kills his son Amnon because Amnon rapes his sister Tamar. Just devastation and tragedy 
one after another. In fact, four of David's sons are killed prematurely. It's a very tragic life, a very uh, hard thing to, to, to see. And I, I want you to understand that when we see these effects happening in David's life, it doesn't mean that everything bad in your life is a result of something that, that you, you, know, you did last week. Like, like God is, is waiting behind the bush and as soon as you lie, he's ready to jump out with his whip. Pop! I got you! You're going to get the flu next week. Ha <laughs> ha! This is not how God lives and reacts to us. And yet, so often, I hear people who live their life as if that's how he is. Like he's just waiting, you know, to crack the whip. And he's waiting, you know, to, to make something bad happen in your life because you lied or you did something. And that's just not how God Response to us, thus saith the Lord. This is a direct word from God to David. If you have sinned in similar ways or in bigger ways or in different ways, it doesn't mean that all of these things are going to happen to you necessarily. So we want to understand what this means, especially as it relates to being a parent. Because the reality is, and this is kind of a scary thought, but the reality is we teach what we know but we reproduce what we are. And as a dad, that's very intimidating. When, when people say, like father, like son, that really scares me, you know? I mean, the chip off the old block isn't so sweet sometimes, right? And, and, and so as a dad, I, I, I realize that my sin in my life might lead my kids in a bad direction. Like, I, I, things that I struggle with could, could have an effect on my kids, they may struggle with the same thing. Does that make sense? And, and so they can't blame me for their mistakes and they can't blame me for their decisions. Just like I can't blame my parents for the way in which you know, they, they affected me because I'm responsible for my own decisions. My kids are responsible for their own decisions. And yet there is a weighty responsibility as a parent to lead and to guide our children in the ways of the Lord consequences from sin are not an indication that a person isn't saved or that God is necessarily angry with you. Not every bad thing that we experience in life is a consequence for a sin. You know, it's just not the nature because, because we live in a fallen world. Sin exists. You sin. People sin against you. We live in a world where there is sin and tragedy and disease all around us. And so to say, is God disciplining me for, you know, this sin is, is a hard question because maybe he is, but maybe it's a result of just living in a fallen world. So my suggestion, suggestion and encouragement for you today is not to play the why game with God. God, why did you allow this to happen? God, why did you do this? And why are you allowing this bad thing to happen at work? And, and why are my kids experiencing, you know, you're never going to get that question answered by God. It's never going to happen. I don't know why we even waste time pretending like that could happen. Instead, play the who game, you know, or, 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 or the what game. And that is, who are you creating me to be, God? What are you doing in me? What do you want me to do moving forward? How are you going to bless me? And how are you going to use me as a result of this? And so we, we've got to refocus our minds and retrain ourselves in how we think and act and interact with God 
especially as it relates to sin. And so, so here is the difficulty. How does a believer, a Christian, who's been saved by the grace of God, you know, we've accepted Christ into our life, how do we live life forgiven from sin and yet still facing the reality of dealing with the consequences? I think our story is going to give us some help here. I think our, our, our example before us allows us to see how we can begin to walk in victory and in freedom um, even as we face you know, the repercussions and the aftermath of some bad decisions. So pick up your Bibles. Let's go back to verse 15. Here's what happens. Nathan went to his house, and then it says, And the Lord afflicted the child that Uriah's wife bore to David. Notice the Bible says it's Uriah's wife there. That'll change in just a minute. It's interesting how the word explains it that way. And then it says, And he became sick. David, therefore, sought God on behalf of the child. And David fasted and went in, and he lay all night on the ground. He laid on the ground, face down. And the elders of his house stood beside him to raise him from the ground, but he would not, nor did he eat food with them. So let's just pause for a second here in the story. If you're taking notes, number one, if you're trying to figure this out, you're forgiven from sin, but you're still facing consequences. Here's the first suggestion that I see here. You've got to passionately pursue the Lord in prayer. Passionately pursue the Lord in prayer. This was not a 30-second before lunch prayer from David. This was seven straight days of pouring his heart out on the ground, prostrate before the Lord, begging God to change the situation. And finally, finally in this story, David thinks of somebody else other than himself. Up until this point, all we've seen him do is try to cover, you know, his tracks and cover his sin and try to put himself in a position, you know, to continue to be popular and, 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 and seen in a good light. But finally, he thinks of someone else, his son. And he lifts his son up in prayer. The child was sick because of his sin. Now this is, again, this is specific to David. The child is going to die because of what you've done. And so you can only imagine the guilt and the shame that David is experiencing at this time. And so he prostrates himself on the ground. He's fasting. He's crying out to God. And listen, he's doing this on his own. Now, it's great to be in a small group and your small group can support you and your family can support you through times of crisis and times where, you know, there are some significant, you know, problems that are and, and struggles in your life. But listen to me, there is nothing, nothing that will replace your personal prayer time. There is nothing that will replace your personal sacrifice of worship and praise with Jesus Christ than you yourself actually doing it. So the season of fasting, a season of mourning, a season of crying out to God is required and necessary for you to walk this journey and for you to grow in ways that you never would have grown otherwise. God will allow these struggles to, to remain in your life and he'll use pain in your life to allow that to, to help you know sin has its consequences. Sin is devastating. God is holy and he will teach you things in that season of your life that you will never, 
ever be able to learn outside of that season. Run to Jesus in personal prayer. Cry out to him. For seven days here, we see David crying out to God. But God does not answer his prayer in the way in which he hoped. Let's look at verse 18. On the seventh day, the child died. And the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead. For they said, Behold, while the child was yet alive, we spoke to him, and he did not listen to us. How then can we say to him, The child is dead? He may do some harm to himself. In other words, they're they're afraid when they tell David he might commit suicide, he might hurt himself, he might hurt someone else. Verse 19, but when David saw that his servants were whispering together, David understood that the child was dead. And David said to the servants, is the child dead? And they said, he is dead. And then David arose from the earth and he washed and he anointed himself and he changed his clothes and he went into the house of the Lord and worshiped. David surprises everyone with his response. They think he's going to blow up in this emotional rage. He's going to hurt somebody or hurt himself. And what does he do? If you're taking notes, number two, he faces the consequences boldly and he moves forward in the power of the Holy Spirit. He faces his consequences boldly and he moves forward in the power of the Holy Spirit. His response was to silently get up, go take a shower, put on some fresh clothes, and then to go and to worship. Some of you are living with the consequences of sin in your life. It's a a bad mistake that you had made. It's in your past. You can't do anything about it. You can't go back and change it. Yet you are still laying on the ground. You are still in a season of, of pitying yourself. You are still in a season of letting the accusations from the enemy flood your mind about how terrible you are and how nothing good is ever going to happen in your life as a result of this. And the, and, and, and the focus is all the drama around you and your thought is all this is going to remain and always going to be here because that's what I did and that's who I am. And you're laying face down on the ground still. And I would encourage you today That yes, there is a season of mourning and there is a season of sorrow, but there must be a day when you get up off the floor. When you rise up again and you say, this is not who I am. I made a mistake, but I'm not a mistake, right? I've, I've, I've failed, but I'm not a failure, God has more for you. He wants to bless you. He wants to use you. You have a job to do. You have people to lead. You have a church to serve in. Get up and walk in the power of the Spirit boldly. Here's what the Scripture calls us to do. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14, this is, what a, re- this, this is a reality for the believers in the room today. He says, he says in verse 15, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power. How? Through his spirit, where? In your inner being. Read every self-help book you want. Go to 20 small groups. Talk to 50 friends to get encouragement. Come to church, hear pastors. 
podcast, whatever you want to do. But I promise you, the place where you will draw inner strength comes from right here in your inner being where the power of the Holy Spirit dwells. And it's through this passage where where we see that God will strengthen us in that power, in our inner being. Why? Verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Number one, we have faith in Christ because he dwells in us. Then being rooted and grounded in love that we may have strength to comprehend. Wouldn't it be great if we had more wisdom and we could comprehend what was, what was going on around us? Well, the Spirit empowering us and growing in us allows us to comprehend with all the saints what is breadth and length and height and depth. In other words, God's love is so deep, it's so wide, it's so high, it's so deep. But he says, verse 19, this is strengthening you that you would comprehend and know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge and that it may be filled, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Folks, this is what it looks like to walk and to live in the Spirit, to get up off the floor and to realize that, yeah, I'm, I'm forgiven, but I'm still facing some of these consequences, and yet I'm still living boldly. I'm living with purpose. I'm living with in, in intentionality, believing and trusting that God has more for me and, 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 and is blessing me in all of these ways that I'm not allowing myself to see. So he strengthens us. And then thirdly, we honor God with sincere worship. So he takes a shower, he puts on some clothes, and then he goes and he worships God. So as we experience tragedy, as we experience some discipline in our lives maybe, or perhaps just sin around us, we're tempted to run away from God instead of run to God. David doesn't allow this to happen. His son just died. And yet he doesn't run away from God. He runs to God. He doesn't allow this tragedy to to create bitterness in his heart. He actually rejects that bitterness. I'm sure that season and those thoughts came, but he rejects that bitterness and he worships God. This is important because we want to blame God. We want to, you know, get bitter towards God. Something happened to you and you think it's unfair and and how can this happen? And so you put all the blame on God and you've rejected him and you've allowed bitterness to sit in and it's a miracle that you're even here today. The life of Job is a great story. If you've never read that, I encourage you to read that. But in his life, he was very wealthy. He had many children. He had everything that you might imagine a successful man would want and desires, and he had it. And in one day, his family is murdered. Everything that he owns is destroyed. He loses his leadership, his family. He loses all of his wealth, and he has nothing. And here's what he does in Genesis, I'm sorry, in Job 1, verse 20. It says, then Job arose, he arose, like he's on the ground crying. And Job arose, and he tore his robe, and he shaved his head as a sign of mourning, as a sign that, bro, this is, this sucks, like this is terrible. And then he fell on the ground, and he worshiped. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave And the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Isn't that beautiful? The Lord gave. 
the Lord's taken away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. In other words, I'm still going to worship God because here's what we know about God. We know that he always does what is right. We know that he is always loving. We know that he always has our best interest in mind. And so we don't understand why things are happening because we can't comprehend it. But his plan is too wide and deep and tall and immeasurable. And so we trust him in his grace and in his love. I imagine some of you might be thinking, man, how could God take this child's life? How could he allow that to happen? I can't imagine God doing that. But again, we live in a fallen world where sin exists and tragedy is real. And out of this story, there's a couple of things that we learn. First of all, God uses this event to humble David like never before. David draws nearer to the heart of God as a result of this. And because of this event, we learn a really, really significant and important theological truth about the nature of God's love. David very clearly says in verse 23, he says, I can't bring him back. But he says, I shall go to him. And what we learn from this is that a child that dies, a baby that maybe is stillborn, however you want to explain it, but this child is part of the elect of God and that the blood of Jesus has covered and saved and redeemed that child and that child will spend an eternity in heaven. David says, I'm going to go to him. I can't bring him back, but I'm going to go to him. In other words, like I, this is a season where I'm going to be without him, but I am going to go to him and see him again. And so I know there are folks in here that have experienced that in their own life. And that very challenging question of, man, is God making this happen because I sinned, you know, back in whatever day and now God is judging me? Don't play that game. That leads you nowhere healthy. The question is, what is God doing in me and through me today? How is he inspiring me to worship and love him? Who is he making me today? And oh, by the way, we trust his love because that child is with him in heaven forever. Honor God with sincere worship. And then finally, we see that David recognizes his role to serve other people. Recognizes his role to serve other people. Look at verse 24. So then it says, then David comforted his wife Bathsheba. Now she's called David's wife. Very interesting. Now that that this process has taken place, the baby has died you know, the judgment here has taken place. Now she is David's wife and he comforts her. Finally, David is learning how to treat a woman. Up until this point, we've seen him do nothing but abuse and, and manipulate and use for his own you know, enjoyment. Now he's finally serving his wife. He's finally comforting her. And it says, and he went into her and he lay with her and she bore a son and he called his name Solomon And the Lord loved him and sent a message by Nathan the prophet. So he called his name Jedidiah because of the Lord. So he's recognizing that he's got to serve his wife here. Here's the reality. You know, you aren't the only one hurting today. Look around you. Every single person in this room has a story, has their own hurt, has their own pain. We're all just broken pieces that the Lord has begun to redeem and to restore. 
The tendency when we go through a struggle in life is to, is to be inward focused and to be self-centered and you know, have our own pity party. And we forget about the fact that, hey, maybe our wife is hurting as a result of this as well. Hey, maybe my kids are hurting. Hey, maybe there are people that I'm sitting next to at church today who are hurting. And instead of being inward focused all day and thinking about your own you know, pain, I believe the Lord would call you to begin to serve and to begin to comfort those around you. In fact, the scripture says this in Proverbs eleven twenty five: a generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes, refreshes others will himself be refreshed. You want to get out of that depression today? Here's the prescription. You want to get out of that pit? You want to get out of that negativity that you're living in? Start refreshing and encouraging other people. Start praising them instead of condemning and criticizing them. And as you begin to uplift and praise and encourage other people, the scripture says that you yourself will be refreshed. Isn't that beautiful? You've got to get outside of yourself. You've got to get off the ground. Stop being negative and stop being so inward focused. Yeah, there's a season for that. But you've got to get up. You got to live your life boldly. Here's the greatest part of today. The greatest part of this story is what happens in these few verses that I just read. I don't know if you've seen it, and I don't know if you've read the story ahead, but let me just tell you this. The bottom line for today is that the consequences of forgiven sin remain, but God blesses for your gain. The consequences of forgiven sin remain. We get that. We experience that. We're all living in that. But God blesses for your gain. Here's what God does for David and Bathsheba. God actually blesses this marriage, if you can believe it. A marriage that was born out of lust and lies and deception and murder we would all write it off and say, oh man, I give it six months, 12 months tops, right? This one's gonna end. You just, you just count the days, man. This one's over, right? Divorce is coming. <laughs> God says, no, I'm gonna bless it. And they go on to live a blessed marriage and life, even though the consequences remain about all his other sons and all the other stuff that's going on, his marriage is blessed. That is the grace of God. Some of you are like, bro, my marriage is like way too far gone. Too much has happened, too much pain there, too many struggles. And I'm telling you, from cover to cover, this book teaches me, do not count God out. God is not through and I've seen him restore and change and bless and do things in people's lives and in their marriage that you would never dream of. And that is because of his grace. Here's the second thing he does. God blesses them with another son. And this is not just any son. You think your kid's awesome. Your kid's smart. He's the smartest thing, man. Solomon was the wisest man who ever lived. 
boom. <laughs> we all just have to get some of that, right? Like that was, he was the smart, he was the wisest guy. God blesses them with a son and an amazing son who goes on to be an incredible leader in the life of Israel. He ends up being the king. He ends up building the house of God, like the greatest temple that Jerusalem has ever seen. He was the guy who constructed and led that whole process. Folks, God's grace is much deeper, it's much wider, it's much taller, it's unfathomable. And that same grace, and that same love, and that same blessing is offered to you if you'll turn to Him, if you'll seek Him, if you'll worship Him, if you'll run to Him. All throughout Scripture, we see it. Remember the life of Joseph? Joseph is sold into slavery, left for dead by his own brothers. He's thrown into prison for a crime he doesn't commit. Years in prison, and then God finally gets him out of prison, and then he becomes, long story short, the leader of Egypt, saves a lot of people's lives, and then he faces his brothers, the guys that beat him up, left him for dead, and eventually sold him into slavery. And instead of being bitter and angry at them, he says this in Genesis 50, verse 20. He says, as for you guys, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many should be kept alive as they are today. <laughs> That's his response. Joseph says, hey, you meant it for evil. God meant it for my good, for his glory. This is your story, right? People sinned against you. People hurt you. God, God can use that tragedy. God will use what was done evil to you, but he'll use it for your good. Romans 8, 28 says, and we know that for those who love God, all things, all things, all good things in your life and all bad things in your life will be worked together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. You know what the name Solomon means? In Hebrew, it means Yahweh, Yahweh's peace. So you know that the word Yahweh is that personal, intimate name for God. We don't even really have a good translation into English for it. We translate it as Lord, but still so far away. But essentially, through the birth of Solomon, God is showing and, and telling David, after all the destruction, after the lies, and, and after the death that you've experienced and the, and the depression that you've been in, David finally experienced the Lord's peace. Isn't that beautiful? Nathan, prophet, shows back up. <laughs> I'm sure when he showed up, David got a little nervous again. Oh, crap, what I do now? <laughs> he shows up and he gives Solomon a spiritual name, Jedidiah, which means the Lord loved. Affirming in David that, yes, God has set apart his sin, has put away his sin, as we read earlier, and that God loves him, that God loves him. Folks, God loves you. He sent his son to die on the cross for your sin, to allow you to experience freedom from sin, to allow you to, to have the hope and promise of forgiveness and newness 
of life, to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, to accomplish a purpose. He's, he's got an assignment for you. Get off the floor and start living for Him. See Him do miracles in your relationships. See Him change lives around you. The beauty of this story is that God, in fact, takes tragedy. He takes mistakes and sin, and He turns them into blessing. (laughs) That's God's truth. That's God's grace, church, and that's the hope that we have in Jesus. And it doesn't matter how difficult your whirlwind is today or how difficult the aftermath of the consequences are in your life. If you'll turn to Jesus through His power You'll experience his grace and forgiveness and mercy, just like David. And then you'll have the confidence and the boldness to be able to live your life, not as a failure, not as how, you know, maybe a family member or person in your life says you're not worthy or you'll never amount to anything, but you'll see yourself in the light of Jesus Christ. Would you bow your heads with me today? As we close, I know there are some who would say, Trent, when you talk about being on the floor, it's not been seven days. Maybe it's been seven weeks, seven months, seven years. I don't know. I've been there and I'm still there. And, and, and today I believe God is telling me I've got to get up. How many of you would say, Trent, would you pray for me and just lift up your hand and just show God me. This is me. I got to get up. Hands all over the place. Praise God. All over. I got to get up. And I got to live my life. I've got to live my There's joy for me. There's blessing. If God can bless David's marriage, he can bless your marriage. If God can give David this blessing of Solomon and peace and love, he can do it for you. And the reality is, is he has already done it in Jesus. If there's a decision you need to make today, if you want to pray with somebody, if you've never given your life to Jesus, man, my encouragement for you today as you leave this auditorium, to your left is our care and prayer room. There are people in there that want to meet with you and talk with you and encourage you. Whatever it is that's on your heart, I encourage you to do that. Let me pray specifically this morning for those who raise their hand. God, Lord, you know every detail about that man or that woman that lifted their hand up. God, you know what they're dealing with. You know how they're struggling. And Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would strengthen them in their inner being, that they would truly comprehend the love of Jesus Christ. And that wisdom and knowledge and power would allow them to get up off the floor and to live their life for you in a new boldness and a new freshness ready and looking and willing and and ready to receive the blessing that you have for them. Lord, give them strength and power. Lord, may we be a church that would be authentic and real and realize that we don't have to keep up appearances and we don't have to pretend like we got it together because we know we don't. May we have the freedom to live and to serve in that type of culture at Foothills Church. Lord, strengthen us today as we leave. And we pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.
Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.